Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this program is being recorded earlier this week. So if anybody has died in the interim, don't blame me. What the frack? Um, we're all aware of the dangers of nuclear waste. It's only radioactive for half a million years, but we can handle that. And uh, the some of the environmental challenges of fracking, but now in honor of the 30th anniversary of a certain movie about a fictional rock and roll band, a radio program dedicated this week to perhaps too much effing perspective. Here is more about fracking. The wastewater therefrom, Dateline Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, oil and gas producer Range Resources did not properly monitor leaks from a wastewater containment pond in Pennsylvania. The state has begun enforcement action. It could lead to a fine. Oh, my gosh. Not a fine. What do they think we are, bankers? A leak was detected earlier this year at the Jaeger Jaeger impoundment in Amwell Township in Washington County. You know where that is. Come on. Don't look at a map. It's in southwestern Pennsylvania. According to the State Department of Environmental Protection, the pond contains a brainy mixture of fluids, including drilling water that returns to the surface after fracking. Uh, As we know what fracking is. We don't have to explain that to you. During its operation of the uh, pond, flow was often detected in the leak detection zone, but range did not satisfy the permit's weekly chlorides testing requirements. Said the notice, the Jaeger Pond was opened in 2010. has been the subject of ongoing litigation by neighbors upset at the company's refusal to reveal the exact makeup of the fluids in the containment pond. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, a secret pond. It's not required to say what it holds in the wastewater pond, says a spokeswoman, a sp- sorry, spokesman for the Southwest Regional Office of the Department of Educational Protection. Good protection, babe. He didn't specify the level of a possible fine. Ooh, now I'm really scared. They're also investigating leakage of two other range resources containment ponds in the same county. The company has a total of 23 ponds in the county, according to a company spokesman. And I bet they're all secret ponds. And Deadline Cleveland, the owner of a Youngstown, Ohio oil, gas, and drilling company, was sentenced to this week to 28 months in prison. I said prison for ordering his employees to dump tens of thousands of gallons of fracking waste into, what do you think? The tributary of, tributary of a river that's used for drinking water? <laughs> yeah, how did you know? U.S. District Judge Donald Nugent also fined Benedict Lupo of suburban Poland, Ohio. Yes, there's a Poland in Ohio. $25,000. He rejected the defense request for home detention and a harsh fine. Uh, His attorney said, Lupo is frail and extremely ill. He requires dialysis treatment daily and suffers from chronic pain and diabetes. Well, let's flush his kidneys with the fracking. No. Would that be be wrong? Nugent, the uh, judge, cited the fact that Lupo ordered two employees to dump the waste and then lie about it. The employees tried to talk Lupo out of it, but he refused. There were six weeks of cleanup required. In March, Lupo pleaded guilty. Two employees dumped the waste 33 times. Many times, most times, they dumped all of a tank out into 
a tributary of the Mahoning River. State authorities caught them based on a tip. Officials found the creek, as a result of the dumping, void of life. You know that place, the void of life. Even the most pollution-tolerant organisms, such as nymphs and catus flies, were not present, according to the court documents. The creek was essentially dead. Lupo apologized to the residents of the Mahoning Valley, as well as to his family. My actions were irresponsible, he said. If this was 20 years ago, this probably would never have happened, he said, citing his health. Well, they weren't fracking 20 years ago, babe. Sorry for calling a sick man, babe. Two employees that dumped it were convicted as well. What the frack, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, welcome to the show. From London, England, home of Londoners, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you 
How did you choose uh, the women that you followed? So um, I met them first in 2010. Even though they all knew each other, they come from very different places. Right, really different life stages. So I met the um, youngest of the three women first. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more, there's a lot more depth to it. So these women were, um, you know, deployed on these multiple lengthy deployments. It shows the difficulty they have in having to navigate even forget about the enemy environment, right. their, their own environment. Yeah. So um, because they're serving in a mixed gender battalion, the ratio is like two to one roughly in their own battalion. Right. John Stewart starting our Let It Sew section this week. But wait, there's so much more. Here's Terry Gross starting our question, as so many questions on NPR start, with a lip smack. So set the scene for us when you recorded this. Where were you? And sure. who are the men who you recorded? So I, I was in the city of Aleppo. So what made you think of going to Syria to record ancient religious music? So uh, I was in a band called Decahedron. That's the band that came after Frodus. So you actually contacted William Dalrymple, right? <laughs> and, and what did Correct. you want to get from him? So to my surprise, he actually responded within four hours. Before we hear some of it, just tell us a little bit about this specific recording. So... This is the Lord's Prayer done in the Syriac language. I wonder what the Syriac word for so is. And finally... So, Dr. Stein, what happens to our skin when we're sunburned? So when you have a sunburn, it's a sign that the sun is actually damaging to the skin, and the skin is trying to protect itself. When our skin is exposed to a lot of sunlight on the beach, for example, with no sunscreen, what actually is happening to it? So... The sun is delivering a lot of energy. It, chemotherapy and the other treatments for other cancers don't always work with, melaton- with melanoma. Right, so melanoma, when it's not found early, can be very aggressive. Am uh, I protecting myself enough? So, I mean, I love to go to the beach myself. I would never tell somebody not to go to the beach. I've read about uh, a recent study, a nurse's study, in fact, that Mm -hmm. indicates that repeatedly burning your skin as a young person absolutely increases your chances of developing skin cancer as you age. Right, yeah. So this is a large study um, of nurses where they followed them over kind of a long period of time. What are freckles? Why did they become more prominent after we've been in the sun? So people with very light skin, um, especially redheads, are more likely to freckle. I have a question. So, if you wear sunblock and you still get a tan, is that in any way bad? So, so often people come in in the office and they say, I don't know what happened. I was wearing SPF 80. What do sunscreens actually do? How do they work? So, there's two kinds of sunscreens. Can a doctor do anything to help? So, most of the time... You're not really going to go in to see a doctor just for a sunburn. Doxema skin skin cream used to be the thing in the 60s. So uh, you want to moisturize the skin. What are the the real health risks from uh, a light tan that you get through sunscreen? So if you're seeing a tan, it means there is some damage that's happening to the skin. With the zinc-based and titanium-based physical blockers, those are made with nanoparticles, which I've also heard can be damaging to the DNA. So I feel like it's a choice between two evils. So there's a lot of controversies about sunscreens right now. What so does SPF mean? 
Okay, so what SPF tells you is it tells you how much longer you can stay out in the sun. A caller wonders if sun penetrates windows and whether you can get a burn even though you're indoors. Good question. Okay, so through window glass, visible, obviously visible light comes through. John in New Jersey asks on our show page, my light-skinned daughter has started using a popular skin darkening product. What do you think, he says, the guest, uh, about those products? So um, if you're talking about the creams and, and sprays that make you look tan, I think if you feel like you have to look tan, you're better off doing that than going to a tanning bed. Why do antibiotics increase the chance for sunburn? Oh, good question. So antibiotics, especially things in the tetracycline family like doxycycline, can increase, increase your sensitivity to, to the sun. Do you get okay. vitamin D from the sun when you're wearing sunscreen? So if you're be- doing all these things and being so careful about the sun, you want to make sure you get enough vitamin D through your diet. Melanoma does metastasize once you've had it the first time, okay, or so, it can metastasize. So a couple of things. Fortunately, most melanomas are found early. If I see a spot on my leg, I may just think it's something else. Right. So let's talk about some of those warning signs. Is basal cell carcinoma harder to spot than melanoma? Okay, good. So melanoma tends to be brown or black. Okay, good. So I think that's a new one in the list. Good question. Okay, good. So thanks to all our participants for playing the home version of our so game this week. Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to present Let Us Try, a ballad of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. That's one way of looking at it. A groundbreaking settlement this week between the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and a group dedicated to protecting rivers in the Pacific Northwest may have nationwide implications for thousands of dams managed by the federal government and the Army Corps. According to the settlement with Columbia Riverkeeper, for the first time in its history, the Corps will have to disclose the amount of pollutants its dams are sending down waterways. It will soon have to request Clean Water Act permits for eight of the largest dams on the Columbia and Snake Rivers in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, more waste in the news. This is a huge day for clean water, said the head of the Columbia Riverkeeper. For years, the dams have discharged harmful oil pollution into the Columbian Snake, and finally, that will stop. We will see an end to toxic spills and chronic seepage of pollutants that have been harming our community, he said. The Corps will be required to use the best available technology. Really? What's, what's, what's been their standard up to now? We will absolutely pledge to use the second best. To control oil and toxic pollution discharged in, uh, by the dams, which are hydropower facilities operating large turbines. The car will also sm- switch from using petroleum lubricants to vegetable and other biodegradable oils, as is deemed feasible. Oh, you can see, you can see the guys at the core, the guys and gals at the core, deeming that feasible. This development is potentially huge, though, says Patrick Parenteau, a law professor at the Vermont School of Law, who's been working on dam regulation under the Clean Water Act for over 30 years. The Corps is finally, for the first time, he says, going to have to legally admit that they have to apply for permits. The oil and lube, pardon me, discharged from the dam's turbines, gates, and other operating equipment is different from the stuff that's already in the water that just passes through the dams. 
Parenteau said this type of agreement doesn't get reached without the DOJ consulting with all the agencies involved. He said that while it doesn't mean all federal dams in the U.S. will apply for permits, it does mean environmental groups around the country will be inclined to start asking questions. Hydroelectric dams, of course, provide low-carbon power. This is one of those double-edged swords, said Parenteau. You want hydropower dams to behave, but you don't want them to shut down and get replaced by coal or gas either. In my opinion, you want to go just far enough to regulate the negative aspects, but not so far that you shut any of them down. Right now, no one knows how much pollution the core is flushing into waterways, and it's not required to track such figures. How could they possibly have the technology to know how? <laughs> it's the core of inch. The core will now be required to report these numbers after the lawsuit was settled. As part of the settlement, the core admitted no wrongdoing. Isn't that the way? But they will pay $143,000 in attorney's fees. The suit does describe a number of spills and chronic leaks at the dams in question. In 2012, the Corps reported discharging 1,500 gallons of PCB-laden transformer oil on the Snake River. PCBs cause cancer. Snake. Snake, snake wild still? Maybe even wilder. And a follow-up now on the story about the lawsuit I had John Barry on this program just about a year ago. He was then head of the Southeast Louisiana Flood Protection Authority. They filed suit against 97 petroleum companies and oil services companies to force them to pay for the damage those companies had done to the wetlands of South Louisiana, the wetlands that protect, among other places, New Orleans from the ferocity of hurricanes and the strength of storm surge. The damage they did by building thousands of miles of pipelines and canals, which they were supposed to remediate, but which they never did. In response and supported, presumably by all companies, Republicans in the Louisiana state legislature passed a law at the urging of the governor, Bobby Jindal, now running for president, passed a law that made it supposedly illegal for that levy board to file that lawsuit retroactively. Well, this week... The levy authority has argued in federal court papers that the law can't be used to block the lawsuit. Lawyers for the flood authority are seeking a judge's ruling to uphold their assertion the bill was so badly drafted that it doesn't achieve the stated aim of the backers. Really? In Louisiana, you think? It specifically prohibits any state or local government entity from pursuing certain types of lawsuits, but the flood authority's lawyers argue regional flood authorities don't fall under the definitions of local government entities. It also raises various constitutional issues. It says the legislature, by passing a law attempting to affect a matter already before the court, violates the Louisiana Constitution's separation of powers. And it violates, they claim, a constitutional prohibition against special laws concerning civil or criminal court actions. Anybody mention that exposed factor? I don't hear him. Let us try. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of Apple. Wow, that hurts. It, I know, it hurts you too. Uh, Deadline Kabul, you know about the, uh, probably by now, about the shooting, the killing of Major General Harold Green, the highest ranking U.S. military official killed in a war zone in four decades. He died at the hand of a sworn enemy, not at the hand of the sworn enemy, but from a burst of gunfire by a soldier in an allied army 
who had been largely paid, trained, and equipped with American and NATO support. Washington Post reports it will probably never be known what led the shooter, identified as a man in his 20s, well, they're the most dangerous, really, to hide in a bathroom at a military training base near the capital, then emerge and open fire on a delegation of visiting American and European military officials, officers before being shot dead himself. Stay away from those bathrooms, babe. It was also unclear what provoked two other insider attacks this week, which you may not have heard about. A firefight between an Afghan police guard and NATO troops near the governor's office in southern Paktia province and an incident midweek in Uruzgan province in which an Afghan policeman poisoned his colleagues' food, then shot at least seven of them before fleeing in a police truck. The troubled 11-year history of the post-Taliban Afghan security forces, including the army, offers an ample range of possible explanations for such deeply disturbing events, says the Post's correspondent, whether aimed at Afghan cohorts or foreign military dignitaries. The army is the most professional and popular of the new defense forces, but it's drawn recruits from across the country who've been expected to replace local and ethnic loyalties with adherence to a national government and its defense. The aim has been to forge an army of about 80,000 men and officers who could be weaned from foreign tutelage and prepared to take on the Taliban. From the beginning, however, the project has been plagued with problems. Soldiers have gone AWOL and deserted in high numbers. Ethnic imbalances between officers and troops have been sources of envy and friction. Equipment has been old and expensive to replace. Perhaps most problematic, the American mentors who have embedded with Afghan units were slow to arrive, and Afghan fighting traditions, honed over decades of anti-Soviet guerrilla combat and civil war, have been both more brutal and egalitarian than the orderly American ethos of haircuts, salutes, and pre-dawn drills. In a 2009 report on the state of the Afghan army, the RAND Corporation and the Royal Danish Defense College found that while Steady improvements were being made in professional skills and combat readiness. The Army was still very much a work in progress and would need continued international support for the foreseeable future. Despite significant gains in some areas, the report said, quote, operational effectiveness remains very much in the balance, unquote. One of the most vexing developments has been the spread of insider attacks, which Afghan personnel have opened fire on their foreign military counterparts, a.k.a. green on blue. In 2012, there were 60 such attacks. By June of this year, 87 insider attacks had killed 142 coalition of troops, wounded another 165, according to the Long War Journal. The motives have ranged widely. In some cases, insurgents infiltrated the services, waiting for the chance to attack. In others, Afghan soldiers and police attacked their American trainers, often taking offense at certain orders or perceived insults. Some have been angered by civilian bombings or reports of Korans being burned at U.S. bases. Others have professed Taliban sympathies or railed at U.S. foreign policy in the Islamic world. Several analysts in Kabul said the attack exposed deep flaws 
in the control and competence of Afghan military leaders, who had apparently not prepared adequate security for the visit of the foreigners. They also said it revealed nagging problems with the Army's lax recruitment uh, policies and faltering efforts to build a loyal, unified fighting force after more than a decade of foreign investment and training. Just paving the way for more Green on Blue. Green on Blue. Kelly on Aqua. Green on Blue. Inside Game. Me on You. Not even a fatwa. Which is Blue. So glad you came. No one knew how this could happen. War so new. A doctrine of one. Green and blue. Is this how it ends up? Blue withdraws. This is Le Show. And now, News of the Atom with our friend Addy. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Addy the Atom. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Figures. Clean, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Best introduction I've ever had. Uh, you're welcome. Florida Power and Light may operate cooling canals around... Turkey Point, Florida, at higher temp- higher temperatures, according to nuclear nuclear <laughs> nuclear any trouble? Yes, nuclear regulators. Despite a festering algae bloom that has clogged the waterway, made water hotter, 
and thus threatened to shut down two reactors. You getting the paradox? They don't even have one dock. Cooling, cooling the nuclear reactors in southern Miami-Dade County with hotter water from the canal won't pose a risk to safety or harm the environment, the regulators said, in response to an application from the utility last month to increase water temperatures to 104 degrees. Mm, like a bathtub. Hotter than a bathtub. Several times this summer, with power demand high, for Florida Power & Light reported the canal water approached or exceeded the previous 100-degree limit, which requires the reactors to be shut down. It hastily cooled the canals by pumping water from a nearby aquifer, but asked for the new temperature limit to deal with warming trends. It's all warming, isn't it? It is, or not, or yes. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission expects to finalize the new operating restrictions in the next few days. Environmentalists worry increasing temperature limits won't address the bigger problem, an expansion of the plant last year that demands more and more water to operate. It's a direct conflict with Everglades restoration, says the director of Tropical Audubon. A million, millions of gallons is what FPL wants from the aquifer to cool the canals. The fresher water is also needed to prevent spiraling salinity levels that are feeding the algae bloom and worsening the threat of saltwater intrusion into drinking water supplies. What are you? I'm not. You're looking at me. I have no clue. I don't drink. The draft order would allow 14 millions of gallon of water a day to be pumped from the aquifer. The order would also revise an extensive monitoring program put in place prior to the expansion to track changes. Florida Power and Light has consistently said that increasing power at the plant has not raised water temperatures at the canals which act as a radiator, cooling reactors by circulating water around the cores, then letting the water cool as it moves across 160 miles of shallow waterways over two days before re-entering the reactors. It's a system. By shutting down two older fossil fuel burning plants at the site, officials of the utility say they prevented any net gain in heat. It was all thought out and decided, said spokeswoman Bianca Cruz. Some scientists are skeptical. It doesn't seem credible at all, says a nuclear engineer and director of the Nuclear Safety Project for the Union of Concerned Scientists. He says this. Nuclear power plants, nuclear power plants are only 33% efficient. Only one third goes out on the wires. The other two thirds must be released to the environment as waste heat. That's why all these plants are built next to large bodies of water. At the same time, they need water to cool them. What's the problem? <laughs> now to Diablo Canyon in uh, Northern California. On the day that uh, Fook had its thing, Dr. Robert Sewell sent an email to the deputy director of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. He attached several reports that dated back as far as 2003 that pertain to the tsunami licensing bases, licensing bases for the Diablo Canyon power plant and to other coastal U.S. plants. The recommendations went unheeded at the time. The NRC was not willing to open up the prospect of reevaluating the tsunami design for Diablo Canyon, he wrote in that email. He says a major problem remains in the limited scope of tsunami generators that are often included in tsunami studies, the lack of a complete treatment of epistemic uncertainty. What is that? I have, what are you looking at me? and the lack of resolve to truly re-evaluate facilities. Sewell said he'd visited Diablo Canyon the previous year, during which its owner, PG&E, presented its latest 
tsunami hazard assessment. My concerns with the plant remained and do even more so today, he said. That was uh, a few years ago when Souk went the thing. That email was now released as a small fraction of a massive document dump, a FOIA dump, a Freedom of Information Act dump, published in March of this year on the third anniversary of Fook. MSNBC discovered within that dump that within the, within the first days of the disaster, NRC officials were strategizing a public message to ensure that w- what had happened at Fook could not happen here. In some cases, this was the message, whether they knew for certain this was true. This is according to the Santa Maria Sun in California. In one email sent March 20, 2011, communications director for the office of the NRC chairman wrote, quote, Chu got in a bit of trouble when asked directly if U.S. plants could withstand a 9.0 earthquake. He talked about acceleration and shaking, was directly asked about what Diablo Canyon could handle. He got tied up in saying about 6.2. A few minutes later, the public affairs officer wrote, he should just say, yes, it can. Worry about being wrong when it doesn't. Sorry if I sound cynical, unquote. He sounds cynical. You think? Three days after those emails were sent, one week after Sewell sent his message, his correspondence was forwarded to the NRC. It was the first time since 2006 that anyone had discussed his report related to tsunamis. He has not been provided an opportunity to discuss the report with NRC staffers. PG&E was never issued a copy, even as the utility continues to work toward applying for a new license to extend operations of both reactors for another 20 years. Let me worry. Yeah. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's 1977 radiation protection standards for nuclear power operations adequately protect public health and don't need to be updated. That's according to the nuclear power industry. Yes. How do they know? You're an atom. You're up and at them. APA's policy was promulgated in 1977 to limit radiation releases and doses to the public from nuclear power plants. EPA said this year that a thorough review of the standards may be warranted and requested public comment on its plan to revise its nuclear power radiation protection standards. The NEI said the industry's operating procedures protect the public and the environment far beyond regulatory requirements. Revising the regulation would place additional regulatory burdens on nuclear facilities with little or no benefit to public health and the environment, said the industry. You can take that to the bank. The nuclear bank. That's right. The head of Japan's nuclear regulator said Tokyo Electric Power needs to get its priorities straight, TEPCO, that is, when it comes to work to decommission the streak and Fuk facility, and it must place a greater emphasis on solving issues that carry bigger risks. The biggest risk, says the regulator, is the trench water. Until that's addressed, it will be difficult to proceed with other decommissioning work. It appears they're getting off track, he told reporters. TEPCO, what's trench water? I'll tell you. TEPCO has been trying to remove some 11,000 metric tons of water that contains dangerous radioactive materials, uranium, your plutonium, from a trench that runs from the Fuke plant reactor building. Number two, the company planned to remove the water after plugging one of the trench's ends, which connects to the underground floor of the reactor building, by freezing the water around the entrance by circulating coolant via underground pipes. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. TEPCO was hoping to plug the hole so the new contaminated water wouldn't flow into the trench. The utility would then fill the trench with concrete once the existing water was pumped out. 
when the work started in April, the coolant didn't end up freezing the water. And TEPCO resorted to dumping ice and dry ice near the end in July. While TEPCO has been doing that, it's also been expending what the regulator deemed to be considerable resources on less important activities, such as continually monitoring radiation throughout the site, regardless of the levels of contamination. It would be best if you could keep all contamination from spreading, but what if another tsunami hits the plant and the highly contaminated water in the trench is discharged while you're trying to do everything, asked the regulator. It's trench warfare. Cute. Two years ago, the Omaha Public Power District hired a private firm to lead the Fort Calhoun nuclear station, which had been placed under federal control amid floods, a fire, and numerous safety violations. In the shuffle, several OPPD managers were replaced by employees from Exelon Corporation, the contractor hired to run the plant. The house cleaning came at a cost, reports the Omaha World Herald. Documents released under court order this week show that rather than simply letting these managers go, OPPD cut them severance checks worth Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Thanks for your bad work. Yeah. Almost all of the nuclear fuel in the number three reactor at Fouke melted within days of the disaster, according to a new estimate by TEPCO. TEPCO originally estimated about 60% of the nuclear fuel melted at the reactor, but the latest estimate released this week really revealed that the fuel started to melt about six hours earlier than previously thought. The early bird melts the worm. <laughs> and the operator of Fouke this week revealed a plan to dump scrubbed water directly into the ocean, sparking concerns over whether it would be properly decontaminated. The plan, which needs approval from the regulator and from local residents, come as workers are locked in a daily struggle to safely store radioactive water used to cool reactors that went into meltdown. The tainted water, as you know, is stored in hundreds of tanks, but TEPCO says it's running out of space. It's also fighting to contain contaminated groundwater around the plant from seeping into the ocean. The utility says it now wants to start pumping out the underground water, purify it with a state-of-the-art cleaning system, and then release it back into the ocean. What's the art? Mm. The firm has long faced criticism over delays in disclosing key information and for continued safety problems at the crippled facility. The plant's current purification system, Advanced Liquid Processing System, has been hit by a series of glitches since trial operations began last year. Glitches are not good? Glitches are not good in human terms. Maybe to atoms they are. Clean, cheap, safe, too full of glitches. Your, your friend and mine, the atom. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know that the, this week marked the 40th anniversary of the resignation of Richard Dixon from the presidency, the first and so far only president of the United States to have uh, walked away from his office. And uh, the uh, anniversary has been marked by, among other things, the release of several books, one by Ken Hughes of the Miller Center at the University of Virginia, one by Douglas Brinkley out of uh, Austin, Texas, and his uh, co-author, and one by John Dean, the former White House counsel whose testimony before the Senate Watergate Committee sort of helped to bring the whole house of cards tumbling down. Uh, each of those books takes advantage of the fact that there have been new tapes released from the uh, huge cache of White House tapes uh, and uh, have plumbed them for new revelations about what Nixon knew and when uh, regarding the Watergate burglary. 
Ken Hughes's book, I think, uh, as far as I know, and I haven't read any of the books, but I've read the reviews, goes the farthest in examining something called the Chenault Affair, which I think we discussed on this broadcast, in which after having been uh, warned by Lyndon Johnson in, 19, in the fall of 1968 that he was beginning ceasefire talks with the North Vietnamese, he warned all three presidential candidates in that election, um, then candidate Nixon asked uh, the widow of a World War II flying ace, Anna Chenault, to urge the South Vietnamese president to reject the ceasefire talks because he'd get a better deal if Nixon were elected. That so-called Chenault affair, in uh, the view of Ken Hughes's book, led to at least the break-in at the Brookings Institution. Um, there are reasons to believe, I think, that it may have been one of the motives behind the Watergate break-in itself. What with all those tapes being released, time to examine yet another tape from another source. Again, the premise here, there's a place called heaven. Nixon got in, and he's still taping. Um, well, they all seem to be getting good reviews. Uh, Hughes's book, uh, Brinkley's book. Brinkley wrote a book. I thought it was dead. No, no, not, not David Brinkley, Douglas Brinkley. Yeah. Never heard of it. Well, he, and uh, what about Dean? Mm. Well, Dean's book is getting very good reviews. Washington Post. Of course. Sure, sure. New York Times. Well, and I'll bet the B'nai B'rith Messenger liked it, too. How about the reviews coming from the places that aren't, uh, you know, so uh, Salzburgered up? <laughs> Pretty much across the board, it seems. Well, of course. Uh, He's the angel, I'm the goddamn devil. That's right. And uh, Everybody's long ago decided yeah. that uh, old man Nixon was some kind of a monster or a criminal or some such, and that uh, young pretty boy Dean was the only thing that stood in the way. Yep. 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 Well. Yep. Which, I mean, even though he was... Even though he was in it up to his damn angelic eyeballs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, Haldeman, mm -hmm. if you think about it for a minute... Yeah. I couldn't have done anything wrong, even if I wanted to. That's right. If Dean had stood up in the first place yep. and told me th yep. that what I had in mind was against some goddamn law. That's right. That's right. He was your counsel. Yep. John and I, of course, had our hands full with policy matters. Sure. As we were supposed to. Well, there's no uh, way. Neither of us was a lawyer, for well, God's sakes. No, there's no need to go over all that again. No, it's just that... Uh, well, I mean, you asked about the deal. Well, it's just that uh, I can't believe that Dean is still getting away with it. Well, he did some time, too, of course, but... Uh, I mean, getting away with his whole choir boy bit. Mm. Did any other reviews point out that he was a snotty little kid who thought his doctorate from Georgetown made him well, the well, king of... Well, and he always resented the fact that... Uh, That's right. You'd gotten... A, full scholarship to Duke. That's right. Well, look, I don't care what he resented. Mm. It's his right, of course. That's right. He's free to resent. Mm -hmm. It's just... Uh, well, the real protection we have is that uh, <laughs> those reviews are going to be forgotten in a matter of hours. And, I mean, people don't even read them anymore, so... Oh, hell, people don't read anything anymore, yeah. as far as I can tell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, who knows? Everything up here is on... A damn seven-second delay. Which, did you ever get on them about that? Because, you know... No, no, the, I, I, I did. We had Magruder speak uh, to one of the angels in charge. Magruder? Well, but we never were able to uh, get the Cubans in here. So oh, I know. His, but, uh, his, his report was that they, 
they said uh, the only way to keep the place free from sub-heavenly material was to have the feeds from below on delay. Nothing they could well, do. Of course. No real avenue of appeal or No, any. no. I know. It's just part of their whole pure-than-thou deal here. Yep. You know, Haldeman, mm. uh, there's some times when you just have to wonder. Oh, no, 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 no. We are definitely better off with this, uh, this setup here. Well. At least that's the conclusion I come to based on what I hear from Colson. You hear from him? Mm-hmm. I thought no, that they, they get one outside contact every five years. It's, uh, it's hard to talk, though. The noise of the flame machines is so loud. So Well, it just bugs the hell out of me that we can't do something about me. Yeah, I know. It's After all this time. No, it does seem to just drag on and bubble up every... I mean, who publishes this damn book, huh? <laughs> we have people who can firebomb their warehouse, don't we? Uh, well, I think the publisher is fighting. No, you don't need to tell me. We don't need to give them any more publicity. <laughs> no one's hearing us talk. No, 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 of course not. It's just... Uh, Nobody's... Uh, no, but uh, if they've got uh, everything on delay, somebody must be. Well, that's that's from down there, but... Well, we're... As you know, I'm the last person in the world who understands this because of tactics. Stuff, mm. But the yep. point is, mm. have we done a black bag job on Dean's shrink? Well, even if he has a shrink, which... Oh, please. No, he's palling around with all these faggy Hollywood types. Yeah. Of course he's got a shrink. They all do. Yeah. It's part of their damn lifestyle. Yeah. He's probably yeah. got more than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, but uh, the Cubans... I know they're all dead, but didn't any of them have kids? We could sure use the... Well, I, I could look into it. Well, now's the time. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, going on all these shows right now. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Why couldn't there be an explosive device under his chair at Good Morning America, for Christ's sake? Well, yeah. Uh, but as best as I recall, on that set, they use a sofa. Damn it, Haldeman! I don't care if they use a goddamn hammock. <laughs> get Dean. He's getting me. Yeah. Let's get him. I'll start looking for the Cuban kids right now. All right.
Now the apologies of the week. So sorry. CNN's Arwood Damon has apologized for her behavior at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad after she allegedly bit two paramedics while drunk. TMZ broke news of the allegations, saying the two paramedics were suing both Damon and CNN after she became, quote, seriously intoxicated and violent. She allegedly bit them when they tried to intervene, according to the lawsuit. CNN said it is not aware of the alleged lawsuit. Well, it's only a news organization. How would they possibly know? The State Department reportedly investigated the incident. Damon acknowledged her disastrous behavior, quotes, in an email to embassy staff. She said she didn't remember what happened, but has been filled in and apologized. It's been an extremely stressful time. I was exhausted. I had not had proper food all day and clearly miscalculated how my body would handle the alcohol consumed. Needless to say, I am utterly mortified and take full responsibility for my actions which are inexcusable, Damon wrote. CNN, the most trusted name in alcoholic misbehavior. Deadline San Jose, after wide criticism by civil liberties groups and national media over its secretive purchase of a drone, the San Jose Police Department is apologizing, promising to gather community input before it uses or even tests the device. It's aimed at helping bomb technicians access areas where a robot couldn't go, according to the police. They apologize for quietly applying for federal funds to buy the drone and slipping the purchase into a city council agenda that elicited no public discussion. Where robots dare not go. Dateline, likely British Columbia, the president of Imperial Metals has apologized to residents living downstream from a toxic leak from one of the company's gold and copper mines in the interior of British Columbia. Brian Kynock told the residents of likely that the failure at the Mount Polly mine has been stabilized the investigation is just beginning. I apologize for what happened, he said. If you'd asked me two weeks ago if that could happen, I would have said it couldn't happen. So I know that for our company, it's going to take a long time to earn the community's trust back. That's right. Things can't fail, can they? Dateline Regina Saskatchewan, Sask Power's CEO, has apologized to customers for installing smart meters that did not meet company standards. When smart meters go dumb... Indian Country Today Media Network received a note from the Native American Journalists Association this week expressing concern over a recent article 
that appeared with the headline, Rate That Genocide, Which Was Worse, Slavery or Treatment of Native Americans? Says Indian Country Today Media Network. The execution was shabby. The headline had an element of satire to it, but it didn't identify the target of its satire, which was Vanity Fair, which had asked its readers that question in a poll. To those readers who were troubled by the headline and article, we say, we're sorry. That's Indian Country Today Media Network, not Vanity Fair. Deadline Sydney, Australia. The Sydney Morning Herald apologized unreservedly for publishing a cartoon that Jewish leaders called crudely anti-Semitic. They threatened legal action if the Daily didn't publish an apology. The cartoon depicted a hook-nosed Jewish man wearing a kippah and sitting in an armchair emblazoned with the star of David pressing a remote control to detonate buildings. The stars of Netflix hit prison drama Orange is the New Black have apologized to Monica Lewinsky over an on-screen joke about the former White House intern. It featured a crude reference to her affair with former President Clinton. Lewinsky, who was a big fan of the show, revealed how it upset her in a new column for Vanity Fair magazine. Orange is the new black star Taylor Schilling told E! Online, I apologize, Monica, for the show, honestly, if you were offended. Nobody wants to offend anyone. Speak for yourself, babe. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, another little thing that occurs uh, in news outside the bubble. President Obama said the United States can't turn a blind eye to the plight of the Yazidi minority in Iraq. Well, a UN human rights group says severe shortages of food, water, and medical care for a ethnic and religious minority are part of a long history of persecution against them that could amount to, quote, crimes against humanity. Tens of thousands of people living in crowded displacement camps. Mobs attacked the offices of AIDS worker, aid workers, forcing them out. Some have tried to return but been barred by the government. An already dire health situation for hundreds of thousands of people. No, it's not in Iraq. It's the Muslim Rohingyas in Buddhist Burma. What kind of eye are we turning to that? That's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system which ran around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the Mini 104 in Berlin. Around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it. KCSN.org and HarryShearer.com. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast from WWNO.org, Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And it would be just like 
being able to keep our pair of eyes on more than one thing at once, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. The tip of the, sh- the show chapeau today to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans. The playlist of the music heard here on the email address for the host of the program and a store that features Cars I Talk t-shirts. It's all at harryshearer.com. And me, I'm yakking away at you on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from London.